a lot of churches have issues with gossip and complaining and being judgmental and all of that kind of negative stuff. They have, you know, problems with being cliquish and clannish, and it's, you know, hard to break into that church, you know, become friends with people or whatever. And all these different stigmas uh, that are associated with, with churches. And we work real hard here at Grace Church to do our best to make it possible for everyone to fit, to feel like you fit in here. We want everybody to feel that way, and if you don't, it's on you, not us. Just saying. But anyway, uh, but we strive to have a, a, a healthy social environment, but we also strive really hard to have a healthy spiritual environment. There were several components of things that happened this past Sunday that I want to share with you. And the reason I want to do it tonight, number one is I've been just really anxious to tell the story. But number two is that all the players are here tonight save one. <clears throat> and you'll understand that in just a minute. We had an outstanding miracle this past Sunday. An outstanding miracle this past Sunday. And, of course, God made it a point to make a fool out of me because I, wasn't, I made it clear that I wasn't preaching physical healing Sunday. I was preaching more of domestic, uh, emotional, and spiritual healing, and uh, leave it to God to do a very prolific physical miracle here Sunday. Let me begin the story this way. Uh, Tanya and Jonathan Coley woke up Saturday morning, and their adorable little boy named Tucker, I'm sure most of you have met him, um, is about 14 months old. Is he 14? Boy, check that out. It's impressive right there. That's right. Anyway, uh, has learned to walk in the past couple of months, I guess. And uh, they woke up Saturday morning, if my memory serves me right, and he wouldn't walk. Uh, he would just fall back down to the floor and, and crawl or scoot, and he wouldn't walk. They tried several times throughout the day to get him to walk, and of course they were concerned and had decided if something didn't happen by Sunday morning, they would take him to the emergency room. And sure enough, when they woke up Sunday morning, he wouldn't walk either uh, on Sunday morning. So Jonathan brought Hadley. Uh, Tanya took Tucker to uh, a 24-7 uh, emergency room facility. They did a fracture, uh, uh, x-ray on his leg, and uh, he had a fractured hip. His hip was fractured. So they asked him, had a hairline fracture, Asked him if he had fallen off of a hard surface or anything like that, and, and she said no, not to her knowledge. Uh, I'm sure he stays under a very watchful eye 24-7. They don't know how it happened, but nonetheless, he couldn't walk. And the doctor at the emergency room facility said if he's not better by Monday, he would need to go see a specialist. To move away from that story for just a moment... <clears throat> Celeste Ferris greeted uh, Dave and Farrah Bunch out under the portico Sunday morning. Uh, she was very passionate, very emotional, crying, and said the Lord woke her up and told her to be at church early Sunday morning, so she obeyed, the emphasis being on the word obey. And uh, she met them out under the portico and uh, said the Lord has a word for y'all today. She said, I don't have it. I don't know what it is, but I just want y'all to be, to pay attention, et cetera, et cetera, something along that line. 
God has a word for you. So the service went on, Sunday school started, went through Sunday school. The second service came and went. Uh, most of you were here Sunday and understood the, uh, how dynamic that service was. Uh, Dave was uh, up in the front in the altar area and just out of his peripheral vis- uh, vision saw Brother Billy Thornton approaching him. And Brother Billy walked up. I haven't gotten permission from none of these people. I hope I get forgiveness after church. Um, but I don't want to embarrass anybody or put anybody on the spot. But I just want to, I just really felt inspired to share this with you guys. We hear negative stuff all the time. And we're in a faith it mode on Sunday morning. So this is to lend to all of that. Um, so he saw Brother Billy approaching him Sunday morning uh, during the altar service. And uh, Brother Billy made a few disclaimers that, you know, if I'm out in left field with what I'm about to say, forgive me, what have you, which is uh, generally appropriate for what he was about to do. But he said, Brother Dave, as you was greeting the congregation this morning, the Lord showed me the end of your storm that y'all are in. And um, when Dave shared that with me, I about lost it. Uh, I think that's amazing. But he also said, the Lord showed me that you and your wife have been weighed in the balances and found faithful. And he said, the Lord impressed me to tell you that today. Of course, Dave at that point, to my knowledge, had no uh, understanding of what Tucker was going through. And um, as fate would have it, I guess, I got tied up with somebody after church that I had never met before. Uh, Someone that was here brand new was talking to me about some things. So I was over here. In uh, a very long, deep conversation, and it was hard to stay focused because I had my mind on spaghetti. Altar service was over, and uh, I was wanting to go on ahead next door. And uh, so uh, Tanya told Sister Murphy that I'd like for Brother Murphy to come and pray for Tucker. Well, I was couldn't break away from this con- conversation I was in, and so Sister Murphy said, "There's Dave Bunch. Why don't we get him to pray?" And uh, so they got Dave to go over, and uh, he laid hands on Tucker and prayed for him in the name of Jesus. And I heard, and I saw, because I heard the noise, and I turned around and looked, they set uh, Tucker down, and he just started running across the front of the building. And they started clapping and carrying on and what have you. Well, I didn't know none of this story. And I thought, why are they clapping for Tucker running? He does that every service and has for, you know, a long time. But I didn't understand what had happened. And uh, when it was told me after church, I've had a hard time going to sleep uh, at night since that happened. I've just been so thrilled about all the components that God used. And where it was interesting, Celeste and Brother Billy, is that I was tied up. And I don't know where our other ministry staff was. But Sister Murphy said, get Dave. It's interesting to me that Dave's son is in the situation that he's in, but turns around and prays for someone else's son, and God heals him instantly. It's amazing how that works. But uh, when, when I heard the story and saw, and then saw everybody clapping and what have you, I, I called Tanya Monday to talk to her about that. And I said, how's he doing? He said, she said, he's still running. 
It may have been nice to have him another day or two, you know, where I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but I just, I wanted to share that story. God used so many different components and pieces. And I just want to thank Grace Church for listening to God, for obeying God, for doing what God wants you to do. And there's a little 14-month-old little boy that don't have to go through surgery or a cast on his leg or God only knows what else because somebody obeyed the Lord. I think we ought to give God some appreciation for that. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And I'm, I was really happy, Tanya, it worked out for Dave to do that. Because in the tailspin and the storm, Brother Billy, that they've been in, it's just nice for God to do something amazing through you. To show you that you still count, you still have value and purpose not only in the kingdom, but in ministry, that you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Is God sweet or what? Isn't that awesome? I love that story. I'm going to gloat over that for a long time. And I didn't have anything to do with it. As a matter of fact, God put me in my place and said, you can preach all you want to preach, but when I want to heal somebody physically, I'm going to do it no matter what. And I thank God for that. Let's give the Lord some more appreciation for his goodness. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It's great to see all of you here tonight. And uh, again, I was a little wobbly with all these folks being gone. And uh, But boy, you folks have come out in force tonight, and I appreciate it very much. Good crowd for Wednesday night, in spite of the fact that we have a bunch of people still out. And I appreciate you very much for coming and uh, showing up on Wednesday night for Bible study. Last Wednesday night was a great time in Bible study. If you remember that, if you were not here, I will ask you to go and listen to the podcast. Actually, last Sunday, last Wednesday, and the Sunday before, if you can catch those services, that would be fantastic. And I love Grace Church, and I appreciate you people very, very much. If you'll stand with me tonight, I'd like to call your attention to the Word of God. And uh, I would like to continue uh, the theme that we uh, introduced to you last Wednesday night. We'll talk about that tonight. I am very happy that uh, Brother Dave Bunch, is, as long as nothing happens with, with Dawson, will be preaching this coming Sunday morning, so y'all spread the word. And I'll always look forward to Brother Dave uh, preaching for us. And then uh, next Wednesday night, Brother Brian Tier will be teaching. The following Wednesday night after that, uh, Sister Terry Spears will be here sharing her experience with us uh, having to do with her trip to China. So uh, it's going to be pretty exciting here the next several weeks. You don't want to miss don't stay home and do the live stream stuff and the Facebook Live. Come out here in person. It's awesome to have live stream, but that's made for people that just can't get here. You can, i.e. you're here tonight. Okay. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, but... Before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. <clears throat> Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. Everybody say schoolmaster. Was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female, but you're all one 
in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing in respect of it. You may be seated. I want to continue tonight God's authority in the church. And uh, tonight I'm going to highlight some things that would, could be called lessons from the Old Testament. The word schoolmaster that I just ask you to repeat. The definition of it is a servant whose office it was to take the children to school. It'd be like, kind of like a human school bus. Uh, it was their job to take them to school so they could learn. It's an interesting picture that's drawn here. The law is a servant that took us to school and prepared us for the education that we were going to get in the New Testament. I want you to notice a scripture reading. We're all familiar with it, and you hear it quoted often. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, listen very carefully. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. Everybody say, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and and you shall find rest unto your soul. Learn of me, and you'll find rest. The more you know about me, the more rest you can have. And I believe the reason a lot of us struggle with anxiety and stress and a host of other emotional-based issues is because we're illiterate or ignorant concerning Christ. And without knowledge of Him and understanding of Him, it's hard to know sometimes where you put your faith. So you can't fully, the Bible is saying and Jesus is saying here, you can't fully learn of the New Testament, Jesus, without studying His Old Testament truths. And that's why we don't discard the Old Testament. There's a lot of people that believe that the Old Testament has no value, and that is not true. The New Testament is built on the foundation the Old Testament has provided. And so we feel like sometimes we know these things, but I'll ask tonight, do we really? Uh, I think we pray in repetition because we don't have enough learning, when it should be the other way around. It's a proven fact that people learn the best through repetition. So we have a tendency to pray in repetition but never learn when we should learn in repetition and then pray. Makes a difference when you know who you're praying to. I thought that was a pretty good point. So let's go back to the very beginning. Let's go back to the crux of the matter. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it, to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, commanded the man, commanded the man, saying... Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle of any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said, that isn't exactly what God said, that's another Bible study for another time, but the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God does know 
that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now hear this in Romans chapter 5. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's, one man, disobedience. Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one. Shall many be made righteous? So I want you to notice the weight of consequences attached to the concept that the Bible places on obedience and disobedience. And this begins in the first two human beings on this planet. So this isn't an afterthought. This is something that God addressed in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Disobedience, disobedience, everybody say disobedience is what has put our world in the mess that it's in today. Not a lack of faith, not unbelief, not doubt, not questioning, not depression, not fear, not anything. Disobedience did it. That one transgression, disobedience, caused the whole world to end up in the state that it's in. If you want to fast forward a little bit later into Genesis, when God made the promise to Abraham and Sarah that they'd have a child, Sarah didn't believe it, and had the situation arranged for Abraham to go into Hagar, the Bible said, and they had Ishmael because of that disobedience. We now have a situation in our world that just can't seemingly be resolved. Disobedience, it's it's crucial we understand authority. Authority in the church, authority in the Bible, etc. This, with Adam and Eve, it was not an issue of fruit, It was an issue of what was, it was God placing Adam under authority. So God gave Adam some authority, but he also put Adam under authority. So as long as you obey my authority, Adam, your authority will be fine. But when you disobey mine, then you lose all of yours. That's why you struggle to keep you get your kids to mind because you're not in submission. Remember that from last week? Huh. That's why you struggle with your job. Most people really don't like their boss. Why? Because he tells you what to do. A lot of people don't like the pastor either for a lot of the same reason. It's interesting to note that Adam was in authority. He had authority. God gave him dominion. That means what he said went. He named all the animals. To put it in very simple terminology, I guess he named the hippopotamus. I don't know where he came up with that. And the mosquito and everything else. He named all that stuff. He was in authority. And his authority was valid as long as he was under authority. So 
So he made Adam first, then Eve, and she was put under authority. But I find it interesting that as long as Eve was under Adam's authority, she had the same authority he did. I wish we could get our head around this. The Bible indicates that they reigned in the Garden of Eden together. She didn't have to go get Adam to back her up on anything, including that day with the devil had she exercised her authority. And as soon as she stepped out from under that authority, she had no more herself. That's why she couldn't defeat him that day. And that's why you and I have a hard time defeating. Is this making sense to anybody? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. We love that. We're just going to go plop down at the feet of Jesus. He's going to pick us up and cuddle us and pat us on our little spiritual bottom. And we're going to burp and everything is going to be fine. But that's not where the scripture ends. He said, learn of me and I'll give you rest. There's an authority, there's a dominion, there's an obedience. So mankind failed due to their disobedience to God's pattern of authority. This wasn't a necessarily a lack of faith. It wasn't necessarily fear-based. It was strictly disobeying. Eve essentially said in her heart, I don't care what God said. I want that piece of fruit and I'm going to eat it. She paid a price. We are all still paying that price. So Eve stepped out of line by taking the fruit. She rebelled against Adam first, but then she rebelled against God. Adam then directly disobeyed God's authority as well. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes, chapter 4 that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And we all understand that. They do have a good reward for their labor unless they're both carnal or unless they are both disobedient. And Jesus addressed that when the blind lead the blind, they both end up in the ditch. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So that is the way fellowship is supposed to work. Two are better than one. When they agree, there's a good reward for their labor. But some are too careless in choosing their fellowship, and whoever you hang around with will ultimately affect you. So... The question, if Eve started this mess, then why does the Bible say by one man's disobedience? Because Adam was responsible for her. God didn't come into the Garden of Eden that day looking for Eve. He said, Adam, where art thou? He knew what happened, and he knew the order in which it happened. I'm not here trying to split hairs, but God had set up a regimen. He had set up a pattern of authority. And when one steps out of it, Everyone below that person fails because you follow that leader. So Eve ate without checking on who she was disobeying. uh, disobeying. And Adam's action, however, was just simply self-will. She gave it to him and he ate it. There was no real temptation on his part. She just gave it to him and he ate it. I don't have time to go into all of this and dissect it like I'd like to, but I hope all of you can can get the point. Notice this. One man said, the more we mature in Christ, the more we mature in Christ, our actions should decrease 
while our obedience increases. Our propensity to be worldly and sinful should decrease as our obedience increases, and that comes with maturity. But the American religious culture has entered the time, kind of like the book of Judges in the Old Testament, where everybody does what's right in their own eyes, including pastors. It's interesting to me that we have pastors that summarily dismiss what the Bible blatantly says on some subjects, on some topics. I'm not going to do that. I want a bigger crowd. I want a bigger church. I want more money, whatever the reason is. Talked about that last Wednesday night. This is what John the Baptist meant. He was, Jesus said he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And the whole crux of his relationship with Christ was based on this. I must decrease. Or the more I obey, the more I mature, and the more he increases in me. And when you hear it said often from the pulpit, we live beneath our privilege, we do. But it's not because of a lack of faith, and that's usually what's attached to that statement, that we live beneath our privilege. It's a lack of faith. It's not that. It's a lack of obedience. We've reached a point in American culture, we come to church when we want to. When it's pretty much convenient. Do we not? Any little thing can knock us out of coming to church. Any little thing can. As little as I'm tired. Boy, it's awfully quiet, man. Oh, my goodness. I worked hard today, and I'm tired, and I'm going to church. So you're making a statement, and you're deliberating in your own mind to literally, I believe, go against the Word of God. When it says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm above that. I don't have to do that. I'm just trying to help somebody here tonight. I, I think sometimes we're, we think we're saved because we've convinced ourselves of it. But when you start really trying to line your life and your attitude up with the Word of God, you, you might find that you need to increase a little bit more in spiritual maturity. I won't say this again. There's a big difference in serving God 50 years than serving God one year 50 times. I can say, I went to school 12 years, but I need to qualify that statement. I went one through 12. Actually, because I'm so amazingly intelligent, I only had to go 11 and a half and get this. Sister Murphy only had to go 11. And she graduated with full credits. I mean, we've got our real valuable high school diploma Come on, man, y'all smile or something. Good grief, it ain't that. Anyway. <clears throat> but it'd be sad to stand up here and say, I went. I was in school 12 years. Sure did. Repeated the first grade 12 times. Well, it just takes all the wind out of that sail, don't it? And we do that as Christian people. I received the Holy Ghost when I was two months old. And I've known God for 85 years. I've known God longer than I've been born. And I'm on my way to heaven and whatever. I don't know how much we've developed during all that time or how much we've just repeated our first year as a Christian that many times. John said, I must decrease. 
And the more I submit to His will and the more less of me that's involved in my relationship with God, the better my relationship with God's going to be. I can give God my heart without giving Him my opinion. So, before the fall, am I hardcore here tonight? Am I, am I, I hope I'm not offending anybody and hurting anybody's little you know, cotton candy feelings. We'll bring a cotton candy machine here on a Wednesday night or two and set it up in the lobby and we'll just get everybody cotton candy going out and y'all will feel better. Um, you're not going to get that kind of Bible here. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't do that kind of stuff here. Thank you for that. <clears throat> Thank you. So, before the fall, Adam and Eve only knew right. They only knew what was right. Listen, listen to this. Before the fall, Adam and Eve only knew what was right as it pertained to God. They didn't have another side of the balance, Brother Billy. There, there wasn't another side of the scale. They determined what was right only from what God said. Only. He was, his, he was their only source of what was right. But when they took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then they started getting somebody else's opinion on what right was. And it's been a mess ever since, has it not? There's a whole book in the Bible called Judges. And it's filled with this statement. And the people did that which they thought was right in their own eyes. And their attitude brought them a king and an evil one. As a matter of fact, about 30 evil kings, when you consider Judah and Israel uh, split and so on, they had far more evil kings than they had good kings. Why? It all started out with a one single act of disobedience. I'm telling you, it can wreck your family. It can wreck your marriage. It can wreck your children. There's people here tonight, and there's people a part of Grace Church that are deliberately disobeying what they know to do is right, but they're not considering their kids. I told someone several weeks ago, you have a strong base of the Bible, but your child does not. And when you go astray, you know where the foundation is to come back. Your child is not going to get that based on how you're living now. That's what we don't understand. You're not in this on your own. There's in three little old, four little old, five-year-olds, five of them, two of them, one of them, that's following you around and following your example. And they learn more, a whole lot more from you on how to live for God than they do me. They learn more based on what they see than what they hear and they watch you far more than they watch me. You need to understand that. So when you don't handle church priority, church attendance, tithing, all that kind of stuff appropriately, your kids will follow suit. But you have a base to come back to. They won't. That's what you need to understand. So if you want to gamble with your kids' lives and their soul, that's between you and God and God help you. <clears throat> So Adam and Eve's original source of what was right as it pertained to God only came from God. It's when they disobeyed that they started getting other opinions about what right was. Redemption, when God redeemed us on the cross, redemption is an issue of renewing our position, of finding out our right and wrong in God alone. Redemption, he buys us back and now we are spiritual servants, slaves, if you will, if you want to go that far with it. 
where He is our only source, He's our only influence. We don't listen to what they say on the TV and magazines and your Facebook, whatever. Uh, You don't listen to that. You only have one source that you judge. And nowadays, people take their Bible, this is my Bible, and they weigh it. Well, this over here is really hard, and oh, I don't like what the Bible says. This over here makes more sense, so this is what I'm going to do. And you think you're right in doing that. You're not. And we need to understand that. You still have to go back to the book as your source of what's right. And that's why I have no fear of teaching the Bible here. I'm a poet, and you don't know it. Y'all missed that. Hallelujah. I'm a Norman Rockwell of poetry. Hallelujah. But that's why we teach the book here. I want my source of right and wrong to come straight from God himself. All right, let me hurry. I'm, I'm running out of time. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, or many manners, spake at times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. You know why the world stays in orbit? You know why it rotates, what, 15, 16 degrees on its axis and all that? It's because God told it to. And it is amazing, as big as this planet is, it obeys God, and as little as we are, we don't. Some of you are in an orbit. You just can't. (laughs) It's always dark in your life, man. Kind of like the, well, just let me keep going. All things are upheld in creation. Jason, you can get your head around that. The stars, everything, they do everything. Just like God says they're going to do. Why? Because he told them to do that. And they have no other choice. The Bible said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said unto him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, my servant will be healed, for I am a man under authority. He didn't tell Jesus, I'm a man in authority. He was. He was over 100 men. That was pretty huge back then. That was quite a climb up the ladder for the Roman army. He was a big deal in the Roman army, over 100 men. He didn't say, I'm a man in authority. I'm a man under authority, and there's a big difference in the attitude, man, and I wish we could get a hold of that. We come to God saying, we're in control of our life, and we want you to do this for me. Instead of coming to God saying, you're in control of my life, and whether you do any of that or not, it's fine. Whatever your will is, it's fine with me. You understand the difference? It's a big difference in the attitude, and it determines a whole lot out of what we receive from God or not. Jesus marveled and said, I found, no, found not so great faith, no, not in Israel. And this came out of a Gentile man, a Roman centurion. Jesus acknowledged the man's revelation of how the kingdom of God works and how spiritual regimen works. You don't boast because you're in authority. You're humbled by the fact that you're under authority. It's a safe place to live. It's a safe place to live. 
when you're under God's authority because he takes care of you. And if something happens, you can go talk to God about it. Say, why didn't you help me out with this? You told me da-da-da-da-da. But when you're on your own, when you do your own thing, you're on your own, it cuts God out of your life. In our day, and we hear this all the time, in our day, <clears throat> we know what's right and we know what's wrong. Right? Correct? Kelton, you're a military man. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jonathan, you're a military guy. Do you understand this? The regiment thing? I mean, the, I mean, when you're in the military and your superior officer tells you to go do something, you don't look at him and say, I'll do it when I feel like it. He'll smash your forehead up against the top bunk in some barrack somewhere, and then you'll turn around and go do what he told you to do. I wish I had just all the time in the world, but I don't. Let me keep going. The man, the centurion, understood authority, and he understood that Jesus was over him. And if you would be so kind to heal my daughter, you don't even have to come to my house because I understand how authority works. You just speak the word, and somebody is going to carry out that command. It's amazing how that works. Everybody on board? All right, let me hurry on. I'm fixing to bring this in for a landing. I'm not going to finish it tonight. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. It's dangerous to have nothing higher in your life than your own opinion. There's nothing more dangerous in your life than having your own judgment or your own wisdom. And more and more and more, people default to their, to their wisdom based on their own experiences and very rarely turn to the Word of God. Quick illustration. I remember when I was a kid, my dad worked for Keene's Laundry. He was a routeman. That's when they would pick up your laundry and have it cleaned and then bring it back to your house. And he was up for a promotion to a supervisor, and he would have four routemen under him. It wigged him out so bad that he asked my mother to call several, several people in the church. It was the first Pentecostal church back in the 60s. And he said, especially call Sister Elmina Parker and have her pray that God would show me his will pertaining to this promotion. Nowadays, we go ahead and take the job, and when it becomes a big mess, then we ask God to step in and work it all out for us. Because we do what is right in our own eyes. We have a hard time with the submission thing. And I made a lot of disclaimers last week as far as pastor goes, and you can go listen to that Bible study. But I want to, I want to point this out right here, and, I, and, and I, I may even close on this point. I want you to notice this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind. Not the eye, the mind. The devil don't blind people so that they cannot see. He blinds their mind so they can't understand. 
And there's people here sitting tonight that don't understand what I'm teaching because your mind is clouded. You, the devil's done some work on your mind. You don't understand what's ahead of you because of the current lifestyle you're living. That's why I preached the way I did the past two Sundays. By the way, I told somebody on the phone, a preacher friend, that if folks would, would respond to kind of cotton candy-laced sermons, it'd be a whole lot easier. But there are just some folks that won't respond until you dangle them over hell for a while. Y'all know what I mean? Don't get quiet and... Got to preach hard. And, and I, I, I walked to my office Sunday after church and got emotional and asked God to please let that burden lift, and he did. And, uh, but the problem, the problem, is folks come to church, they worship, and they go through all the motions, but they're doing it with a blinded mind. You don't understand what God is doing. You don't understand. You can't comprehend. You can't get your head around the height and the breadth and the depth of what God is doing. And I, that's not, I'm not trying to put an indictment on anybody, but we get so worldly, and we brought so many other sources into our lives to help us determine what is right or not. I know a, a woman. I have to be real careful here. I know a woman, it's been years ago, that took a job working for an attorney. And um, apparently this man began to really uh, just bless her, if you will. I don't even like to use that word. Uh, pepper her with uh, little raises and bonuses and take her out to lunch. And he was flirting with her, but he, he, he didn't have an idea. His idea was not to flirt with her, to pull her away from her marriage, to marry her, to cause her to divorce her husband, etc. His intent was he thought that she could be a prettier woman to work in his office. So he kept working on her and flirting with her in, in that way and finally got her to agree to literally change her physical uh, appearance. He supplied the financing for her to have different parts of her body reconstructed. It's as far as I'll go with that statement. And she did it. And of course, she had to agree to show him the end result of all of that. Well... When her husband found out about it, he promptly divorced her. And you know, who could not imagine going to work for an attorney back in those days, whoever that guy was, I don't even know his name, a professional office, professional man, educated man, professional career, something that could just go on and on. Who would have ever dreamed how wrong that job would have been for her? But she never asked God about it. She never talked to her pastor about it. And so it brought her to a very miserable and a very difficult end. And the last time I heard of that woman, uh, she had already cycled through two or three other husbands since the one that she had divorced, or that had divorced her. Folks, I'm doing everything I know to do tonight to have you understand that conservative media is not the pure source for right. 
Conservative politicians is not the pure source for what is right. Your employer does not know what's right for you. Sometimes your spouse doesn't. There comes times when you have to get on your face before God, do the pray first thing. And I thank you folks that are coming to pray. There's people all hours of the day and night coming out here praying. I thank you so very much for that. But there comes times when you have to get down on your face before God, and this is the essence of your prayer. Not my will. Not my will. And there's folks sitting here tonight, and I don't claim to be a, a doomsday prophet and all that kind of stuff, and don't even want to sound like one. But if you stay on your current track, if you don't do some lifestyle changes, if you don't do some changes in your priorities, make spirituality a more important priority than what it is right now, five years from now, your house will be left unto you desolate. You hear what pastor's saying? And if I'm still here at age 65 pastoring this church, I'll remind you of this statement. You don't get away with disobedience to God. After a while, you meet your Waterloo. It, it, it's coming down the pike somewhere. Be not deceived, the Bible said, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm asking you to listen to pastor. I want to close with this, and I'm going to be very careful. God knows my heart. Uh, I want to just use this story. I don't self-promote, and, and, and all of you know that. But I want to use this story. When pastor says something to you, it's imperative that you give heed to it. On May the 19th of this year, and I have it documented in my phone, I texted Brother Greg Albritton. To be honest with you, I didn't think often about Sister Billy. I've known his mother, Sister Billy Albritton, all of my life. She lived in Alexandria, and she was bedfast for about 12 years. I texted him on May the 19th and said, How's your mom? I'm feeling a real urgency in my spirit about her. Got it on my phone. She went to heaven two days shy of two months from that statement. And I will tell you of a truth tonight. God quickened my spirit, and I called and said, We'll be praying for your mom that I knew in my heart it was coming. Sometimes God uses this person right here beyond anything I could ever ask or think or imagine. And most of the time I feel like Balaam's horse when I talk to people. That's kind of the level I put myself at. But when I get up and preach and teach things, I'm not just beating the air. When I teach the Word of God, it, it's teach, I'm teaching it with the backing of God's authority, not mine. Doing it with God's authority. And when you disobey that, when you summarily say, I'm not going to do that, you put yourself in a real precarious position. Be oh, the smallest thing is eating a piece of fruit off of a tree. Y'all understand that? Eve did not blow up half of that known part of the world with a bomb. She ate a piece of fruit. Our world has never recovered. Think about that.
think about the enormity of that. So understand the authority of God that when God says we need to do what God says for us to do. You read it in the Bible, it's for you to obey without question. It is. It's not options. It's commandments. And we need to do that. Y'all on board with that? I want to go to heaven. I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. And I'd rather land 20 yards inside the pearly gates and God tell me half of that stuff you did, you didn't have to, than to miss it by a half inch. So I'd rather go, maybe I'm going a little overboard. Maybe I am. I don't think so, maybe I am. But if you arrive there, you won't mind. I can promise you. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight. Father, we're grateful for the Word of God. It is truly a lamp to our feet. It tells us where we are. It's a light to our pathway. It shows us where we're going. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around this church. Please wrap your arms around this church and everyone that attends it. Asking you, God, to keep us in the palm of your hand. Help us to understand the true concept of discipleship. It's not so much faith-based as it is obedience-based. That we could truly be a light set on a hill here in Central. That you would have a church here in Central that you can rapture out of here. A church without spot or blemish, wrinkle, any such thing. I pray, God, that you would draw us close to you. Draw us close to your fire, your anointing, your power, your might. And help us, God, to be obedient servants, an obedient child of God to do whatever the will of God may be for our life. We ask you today to help us, to be patient with us, to guide our footsteps. In Jesus' name we ask it. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Well, after such a hard-hitting, gutted-out Bible study, go to somebody and try to smile. (laughs) Tell them how much you love them. Love you, folks. We'll see you Sunday morning.